0: It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! This week's episode is called Career Killing Mistakes. Musicians should avoid. Tough talking over the band. Hello, everybody. You know what? Bria, can you do me a favor? Because you're better since they changed the interface. Can you come over here, please, and set up the... I didn't open up uh, the chat room. And I had such a problem last week while you were on vacation and left me here all alone. Um, that actually, I wasn't alone. I had yeah, yeah. Ariana in here. She Ariana, did an right? excellent job, but I'm sure she did. She actually really did. It was a pleasure having her here. Um, okay. Okay. But they changed the interface more. And they change so, it again? Yeah, when I went last, well, at least the way that I was getting yeah. in before, they change it. Be right with you guys. Yes, <laughs> please hold. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where do I go? What do I do? Okay. Can I see this? Really? Yeah. Videos. That's. What I was looking for. Okay. I got. It's we got to write this like down. Gotta, gotta, gotta write this down. Other features. Yeah, it's gonna. Oh my gosh. This thing's acting up. Stream stat is bad. Oh, it's not showing that here. Okay, cool. Okay. Hello, every stream health. Good. <laughs> Good. Yay. We're getting conflicting reports over here. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Hi, guys, ladies and gentlemen, how are ya? Um, so, there we go. I'm up. It's up. Everything is good and rock and roll. Hello. So, hope everybody had a great weekend. Hope all the dads had a great Father's Day out there. Um, Nothing too exciting going on here. I'm glad to do this episode. I'm happy to do this episode. As I was putting together, and, you know, we're doing career-killing mistakes, musicians should avoid. Uh, as I was putting this together, I'm going, yeah, I've talked about some of this stuff before, but it's been a while. And you know what? Oh, there's that guy with the noisy car. Um, it, it's easy to forget these things. So if I'm rehashing some of them, it's only to keep them fresh in your mind because it really matters. So I'm going to jump right in and not belabor the point. Uh, and the first thing, oh, I'm supposed to remind you that on Thursday, July 11th at 7 p.m., we're doing the second... <laughs> oh my God. I hate that guy. I really, really hate that guy. Uh, we're doing the second taxi... Um, uh, live showcase at uh, Kulak's Woodshed in North Hollywood at 7 p.m. It's free, but the seating is very limited. It's a funky little uh, venue that's just awesome. It feels like, as I've said on the show before, feels like your best friend's parent's basement where you hung out, played pool, and snuck his old man's beer when you were like in high school in the 70s, okay? Not that I ever did any of that stuff personally, but I've watched people do it so um the venue is really cool and they have an amazing video broadcast system so we're gonna do uh the showcase live and we're gonna broadcast it live and the video quality is excellent gotta say so don't miss that thursday july 11th at 7 p.m we will also be broadcasting it on this channel live on youtube so there you go so for the rest of the information that i'm going to talk about today you know you can ignore this at your own peril because any one of these things could seriously hurt your career. Some of them are like career ending mistakes, I think. Um, And yet so many people just concentrate on their music. It's like, I don't want to say they're egotistical, but they're very self-centered. You know, and I understand that when you're an artist and you're creating stuff, um, you know, there is a certain amount of self-centric, I guess, vibe going on. But the world is not coming to you. You have to reach out to the world to make it in today's music industry, pretty much in any you know, like era of the music industry, but more so today. And there are a lot of great tools to do that with. And some of those tools also give you a chance to put your foot in your mouth. So let's start going through these things and uh, see which ones apply and take notes. You're definitely going to want a notepad for this. So Number one is not learning everything you can about the industry you want to be part of. Makes perfect sense, right? You want to be part of the industry, you gotta know how it works. Gotta read books, gotta read blogs, watch videos, go to conferences, connect with people who are doing what you want to do but have been doing it successfully before you so that you can either team up with them or mimic the same steps that they've taken. thinking that your music is so special and so wonderful and so incredibly unique that somebody like a producer or a manager or an agent or a label executive is just gonna magically swoop down from out of the sky and say, oh, I love your music, it's so good. Here, let me do all this magical promotion and marketing for you and I'll book shows and I'll reach out to record labels. I'm gonna do all this stuff for you. Let's face it, the chances of that happening, not that great. It could happen, but it probably won't happen. And I've seen so many people I've known in the industry for so long that have been waiting 20, 30, 40 years for that magical person to show up and swoop down and just cradle them in their arms and take them off to you know a magical place where their career blossoms and they become the next Taylor Swift or Ed Sheeran, who knows. Wow, look at that, I'm turning green again. The lighting is weird today, gotta say. <laughs> I look like Kermit the Frog. Um, anyway, so, it's naive. Uh, you gotta do it on your own. And, and in order to do that, look, if you were starting a hot dog stand, or a shoe store, or any other kind of business, because don't be fooled, this is a business, Uh, and you are a small business person. When you start creating music and marketing your music and you want to earn money from that, you become a small business person. So in any type of small business, you've got to understand what the lay of the land is before you jump in and do it, you know. uh, Even if you're going to start a hot dog stand with a push cart, a tiny little, you know, like $10,000 startup, wouldn't you go online and read everything you could possibly read about other people that have had successful hot dog stands? I would. And then I would, of course, try all the different types of hot dogs. (laughs) I gotta say, it's too bad hot dogs are so unhealthy because they sure are good. Um, Oh, and I mentioned reading books. Look, I know reading is kind of a lost art. I generally read for about an hour every morning. And yeah, sometimes I have to force myself. Most of the books are business type books. Some of them are are, uh, music books. They're definitely not novels. They are all books that are related to what I do here at Taxi Every Day. Occasionally I'll read a book about you know like personal investing or managing your money well or maybe a book on travel or something like that. but you know the the vast majority, probably 95, 98 percent of the books I read are either about business in general or about the music business specifically. And I think that if you want to be in the music business, uh, you can even define the niche that you want to be in within the music business and read books about that. And I was reminded about that this weekend. I don't know why, but I got three emails this weekend, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I got three emails about a specific book this weekend. And that book is this book. Boy, now I'm really going to look like Kermit the Frog. Uh, (laughs) Shortcuts to Songwriting for Film and TV by Robin Frederick. Uh, This book came out after Robin's initial book, her first book, which was a runaway bestseller, Shortcuts to Hit Songwriting. Ooh, this one makes my skin tone look better. I'm just going to hold this one up. Anyway, uh, this book did not take off as fast. It sold well, but it didn't sell like crazy. And I think it's because a lot of people thought, well, if I can write songs well because I read the first book, then those songs will be good for film and TV. It's a different type of song that gets used in film and TV for the most part. Yes, if you're a major star with, you know, charted (laughs) hits and everything, um, some of those rules don't apply. But for most of you watching taxi TV, the rules do apply because you're not famous. You're not going to elevate that movie by having your music in there like, you know, Taylor Swift or Ed Sheeran or John Mayer or somebody that's well known and has a fan base. So um, because you're not a huge star yet you need to write songs and I'm talking songs not instrumentals now I'm talking songs you need to write songs that are specifically tailored for film and tv licensing and it's a whole different mindset I personally think it's a little bit easier so buy that book um, it'll be the best 32 or 35 dollars whatever it is that you've ever spent and yes I am the publisher of the book but I am also the kind of publisher that will give you 100% of your money back on that book. If you buy it and don't think the book was $35 worth of helpful, uh, send me back the book in completely resellable form, and I will refund your money. So there you go. Um, The next thing I want to talk about, the next career-killing mistake that you should avoid is thinking that your music is the most important thing in a TV show or a movie scene. I know it's hard. Again, this goes back to, you know, musicians, creative people in general, um, are kind of egocentrical or self-centric. Um, so and I get that. It goes with the territory. You've got to believe in yourself. But your music in the context of licensing it for film and television, is not the most important thing the vast majority of times. Yes, there could be a scene where the song really carries the scene. The song is featured in the scene. Could be a montage, you know, at the end of a, an hour long drama um, where they need the song to kind of carry the, to do what the script and the dialogue aren't doing, but the song completes the thought. So then it's important. But most of the time, your music, whether it's instrumental stuff in reality TV shows, whether it's songs in in dramatic television or a song in a film, in a feature film, if you're lucky enough to get one of those placements, Um, most of the time it's going to be background source music, meaning it's going to be playing in the background of a bar scene coming from ostensibly a jukebox. Or maybe it's going to be playing from a car radio when there's a scene with two people in the car talking to each other. Um, Could be two people walking through uh, you know, a, a market in the Middle East and there's Middle Eastern music playing, whatever it is, usually it helps set the scene, helps set the mood, it's there to enhance an emotion. But what it's not there to do is to get the viewers to go, oh my gosh, that song is the best song I've ever heard. That is an awesome song. Chances are, it's not gonna be played in full anyway. Really, really, really good chance that you're gonna hear five seconds, 10 seconds, 25 seconds, 34 seconds. It's not gonna be a minute. Uh, It's not gonna be two minutes. It's not gonna be a full song, with very rare exceptions. And I'm talking really rare. So don't think, well, I'm gonna be the exception because you probably won't be. Um, So that's it, Uh, don't think of the music. Even though it's the center of your universe, it's not the center of the universe for the person who's licensing it into a TV show or a film, and it certainly is not intended, nor should it be the center of the universe for the people watching that TV show or that film. Uh, there you go. Where is my pen there? It is. Okay, number three. I know this one is really rudimentary. I've talked about it on dozens of Taxi TV episodes before. Um, not labeling your music or song files drives me crazy. I still to this day have people come up to me uh, at the Taxi Road Rally, which is coming up November 7th through the 11th here in Los Angeles. Um, I have people that come up to me and hand me thumb drives. I'll get three or four of those a day at the Road Rally. Michael, can you check out this new music I made? Or can you check out this new album I did? I'm really proud of it. And and they hand me a thumb drive, and I would say probably 80% of the thumb drives I get don't have anything on the outside of them. Admittedly, they're small, but you know what? Buy one of these dudes. The little fine point Sharpies, they work great. Yeah, there you go, now you can see the point. These things work great for writing in small areas on thumb drives. Um, So what should you have on there? What kind of labeling should you have? Absolutely, your name and your phone number and your email address. Because what if somebody hears your music and they love it, they want to contact you? And they can't. I know that sounds idiotic. And you're all going, who would be dumb enough to do that? But I get calls from panelists at the Road Rally, um, one of whom is a great friend of mine and a great friend of all taxi members, a gentleman named Michael Lloyd who's been on the show. And you've seen him at the Road Rally. He's produced, I think, over 100 gold and platinum records uh, during his career. People give him music, and he is kind enough that he actually listens to everything people give him after the road rally. And he will call me from his car, sitting on the 405, stuck in traffic, listening to music. And he'll call up and go, I just heard something amazing, and I have no idea who gave it to me. True story. Excuse me, that's happened more than once. I'm sure it's happened to other road rally panelists and other industry friends of mine he can't be the only one. He's just the only one that uh, picks up the phone and calls me when it happens. So what else do you need to be on, have on a thumb drive? Um, You know, some people still hand out CDs. Uh, So what's the information? Your name, the song title, uh, your email address, your phone number, um, and If you're really good, you'll enter stuff in your metadata file. Um, In the info section of iTunes is one way to do it. Um, And indicate if you're the sole writer on it. Um, If you have a a writing partner or partners, collaborators, co-writers, you need to name who they are, what percentage of the publishing splits they have. You've all heard the phrase metadata, right? kind of rolls off the tongue. Um, if you want to be really good about it, uh, you could write a uh, one-stop, meaning that you control both sides. You control the composition or, you know, the copyright of the composition as well as controlling uh, the master recording. That means you've got both sides and that means that it's one-stop, meaning that somebody in the industry could license it by going to one place, one stop to get it. Um, and if you're really, really, really good, put your PRO, Performing Rights Organization, uh, information on there. Because all those things not only make it easier for people in the industry to do business with you and license your music, it also sends a message to them that you're a professional, that you kind of know the ropes and you're not gonna be problematic to work with because most of them work at a really, really fast pace. They're on deadlines, they're, it's a, I know it doesn't seem like being a music supervisor would be a stressful job, like you just get to sit around with your feet up on the desk and listen to music all the time. Not true. They're having negotiations that are going south, they're having finicky directors or executive producers to deal with. There are all kinds of things that are not meeting deadlines or trying to meet deadlines. So the last thing they need is to do business with, because you are not the only person whose music they're gonna use in a show, um, they need, to work with people, they want to work with people who make their job easy. That's one of the biggest secrets of the music industry or the best piece of advice I can give you is make the job of the person you're trying to do business with easy. They will love you for it. Okay, um, number four, submitting music that's already been published and sending it in to other publishers. I know you're sitting there going what <laughs> what the heck did he just say um uh, i just got a call about two weeks ago from a music library owner a publisher um, who we all really like and many of our taxi members really like this person and the publisher said to me, you're not going to believe what I just got. I said, okay, what did you just get? Like a new cat, a poodle, what? And she said, I just got a song submitted, sent to me from Taxi that I already published. So the musician who got a deal with this music library owner um, was st- and signed an exclusive deal was still submitting the song to listings through taxi and one of the lit even though it, you can't do that once it's committed to a publisher you don't try and get it another publishing deal certainly not if you're smart and ethical and this person submitted it to taxi and it made it through the screener again and went to that music library and This lady called me up. She's like, What is going on with these people? She was just absolutely befuddled. Now, I'm sure she reached out to the taxi member, the musician, uh, directly and and said, What the heck are you doing? Maybe they did it trying to sneak one through, which would be really dumb because sooner or later that would catch up with them and that would definitely be a career killing mistake. Or, Maybe they just didn't know better because they don't understand publishing, which relates back to the first topic in today's show, which is learn everything you can about the industry you want to be a part of. And the third thing is they're just plain or third possibility is maybe they're just plain dopey and they forgot that they signed a publishing deal with that song. I don't think that's a high probability, do you? I mean, Most people that sign a publishing deal on something are like, woohoo, break out the champagne, not, oh yeah, another publishing deal, and, and forgot that they did it. So I think that the person was trying to sneak it through and, and get it signed elsewhere, but why? This way you're gonna have two publishers that will never work with you again. And your name is gonna be, even though there is no official blacklist, people have asked me about that before, there's no official blacklist in the industry, but there is an unofficial blacklist of people, you know, it's a small industry. There are not that many music library owners. I mean, you know, there are probably hundreds, if not a few thousand of them out there, but the ones that really matter, many of them tend to be, based in Los Angeles. They run into each other at events. Some of the libraries talk to each other. Library owners talk to each other. Uh, If they don't have something and they need something for a pitch, they might reach out to another library owner that they think probably has that type of music and say, hey, uh, I don't have anything. Do you have something? I'd like to pitch your thing to this opportunity that I've got, and we'll split the money. Okay. So they talk to each other. And if uh, one or two of them know about somebody that they've worked with, meaning this person that resubmitted music that was already signed to an exclusive deal, uh, they're going to bring that up. And that person's name is going to get mentioned. And sooner or later, if that person's music makes it to the hands of yet another music library owner, um, oh, yeah. Oh, was that the person that David was talking to me about at that event? You know, it might be. Let me pick up the phone and call. Oh, that was the guy. Uh Uh-huh. So not a good idea. Definitely a career-killing mistake. Um, Got that covered. Okay, moving on. I believe this is number six on my list. Creating music that showcases a career-killing mistake, creating music that showcases your talent, instead of creating music that solves a problem for the music supervisor or editor. Most of the time, especially in TV music licensing, they aren't looking for the best musician, or the best composer, or the best producer, or even the best songwriter. I know that seems anathema to everything that you've probably learned along the way, but they really 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 aren't looking for somebody who's got amazing musical chops or great production chops. you have to have you know some modicum of talent and ability more importantly what they're looking for is material that helps move a scene along does it work with the picture does it work with the mood does it work with the emotion does it keep the scene moving in a forward direction That's what they're looking for. So they don't want to take a piece of music, um, let's put it this way, if they had two pieces of music and one of them is kind of a B-plus recording of a B-plus song, uh, but topically and emotionally and kind of groove and feel and (laughs) vibely, it really works in the scene. And then they go, okay, well, I'm going to hang on to that one. It's a possibility. And then the next thing they listen to is spectacular. It's like the best songwriting of all time. The vocal delivery is magnificent. The engineering is as good as it gets. The production is spectacular. But for whatever reason, it just doesn't fit the scene. It doesn't do anything to help the scene. It's a great piece of music. Nobody would deny that the second one is better than the first one. Second one's an A+, first one they heard was a B+. But the B-plus worked better in the scene. That's the one they're going to go with every time. Every time, 100% of the time. Ask any music supervisor that question. They will all give you the same answer. So, again, it's got to be decent. It's got to be pretty darn good. But it, they are not looking for spectacular. It would be great if it were spectacular and the best engineered, the best songwriting, and all that other stuff. And worked well with the emotion and the vibe, uh, you know, and, and moving the scene along, all that stuff. But again, given the choice of picking something that is pretty darn good and B plusy or A minusy, uh, and it really works well and helps the scene versus something that's A plus on every level and doesn't help the scene, they're going with the B plus or the A minus. Number seven, creating music that doesn't support or enhance an emotion. So I've told this story before, I'm gonna repeat it again. Uh, Bria, can you make it a little cooler in here, please? Uh, I, I started my career when I was 19 years old at a place called Criteria Studios in Miami, Florida. And uh, when I started working there, the Bee Gees were there recording. Um, they just finished up Jive Talking, the record that Jive Talking on it. Uh, And then about six or eight months later, they came back and they were working on Saturday Night Fever stuff, I believe. Um, The Eagles were there recording one of these nights, Uh, Eric Clapton was there doing I Shot the Sheriff, so it was an A-list facility. I was very, very fortunate to get a job there. I kept my mouth shut, my eyes, my ears open, and rarely uh, was I allowed to, or rarely did I have the guts to speak to anybody who was famous, you know? Kind of assistant engineers were meant to be seen and not heard from. But Barry Gibb, the eldest brother of the Bee Gees, of the three brothers Gibb who were in the Bee Gees, was an exceptionally nice guy. He's actually the, the only brothers Gibb that's still alive, I believe. Um, anyway, Barry was a super nice guy. He, he literally kind of emanated friendliness and goodness and just being a gentleman's gentleman. Um, also pretty funny if I remember correctly, but, and super handsome, man, that dude was good looking. So he had, he was the whole package. So he was walking through the lobby. It was late one night, like 11.30, 12 o'clock. Um, nobody around, and he walked through the lobby and he acknowledged me. He'd seen me around now for like a month, you know? And he goes, hey, how you doing? I go, great, man. Can I ask you a question? What makes a song a great song? And he just stopped dead in his tracks. You know, he, he was we were kind of walking by each other, but he stopped dead in his tracks and kind of looked over at me and he goes, "Emotion, mate, like, don't you know? <laughs> I think he thought because I was actually working in this highly professional environment that I already knew this, but I didn't. Emotion. Um, truer words were never spoken, certainly not to me. Um, so, emotion, uh, you know, it, it works for records or songs that become hits. Emotion works for um, songs that get placed in TV shows and films, like I was just explaining. Um, it could even be for something like, a, you know, a silly little dramedy cue that only plays for 10 seconds in a reality show. But is it bouncy and fun? Um, is it a serious cue? on its own, does it evoke an emotion? And placed in a scene where they're trying to enhance that emotion, does it work? So, Barry Gibb was right, emotion, that's the key to everything. Um, You know, technical chops are great, Uh, and I was sitting here working on the questions earlier today, Or these bullet points earlier today, and I realized the only genre I could come up with, and I'm sure there are others, so I'm sure I'll see them in the chat room. Um, The only genre of music I could think of where emotion probably doesn't matter, and please don't send emails because I know somebody's going to disagree with me on this, is prog rock. That is a, a genre of music where your technical abilities probably do outshine and outweigh the ultimate purpose of, of that music. Um, the people that like prog rock, its audience, they want to hear, um, you know, just incredible technical ability. So, but I, I also did have the thought as I was jotting that down that I can think of some prog rock that I heard where it it evoked an emotion from me. Um, and I think that it was because the musicianship was so good it kind of made you well up with pride that the musicians were that talented and that skilled but not typical emotions you know like um, I, I guess you could have a prog rock song that you know evokes loneliness um, or happiness um, but most of the time it, it, I would say certainly in the context of records that the audience, the people that listen to prog rock, aren't looking for emotion as much as they're looking for, you know, Steve Vai's guitar chops. Um, The chat room is just sitting here still. Am I that good or is it broken? (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen the chat room be stopped like it is at the moment. So I'm gonna type something in and see if it works. Uh, it's not moving for me. Okay, so that's weird, huh? Because I would love to know what they're saying in the chat room, in case anybody has a question. Definitely I'm not working. Here. Do you want me to for you? Yeah, you probably should. Sure. That's really weird. I don't think I've ever had that happen. Okay. While Bria is doing that, I'm going to move on to my next bullet point, which is number eight. You're just not. Oh, it was scrolled up or scrolled down. But why wasn't it moving on its own? That's weird. Very weird. Okay. <laughs> and now I've got two hellos in there. Anyway, thank you, Bria. Number eight. Submitting music that's not on the money for what was requested. Again, this is another one that probably falls under the category of, did I miss number five? I don't know, Gloria. (laughs) I will put it this way. I may be misnumbering, but I don't think I've missed any. Um, Submitting music that's not on the money for what was requested, but thinking that it's so great that the music supervisor or editor will use it just because it's so awesome. And I can't say that this is 100% true, but I can say it's about 99.9% true. Um, If a music supervisor is looking for a piece of music, and if you are, and I hate to make you, I'm not trying to put you down, but if you're foolish enough to think that it really doesn't matter what they're looking for, for this, what they asked for, what they requested, what they're on a hunt for, None of that matters because my song or my instrumental is just so friggin' good that they're not gonna care what they need for the scene. They're just gonna go, man, this music is amazing. I gotta put this in my TV show. Not going to happen. I've asked several music supervisors this question when they've been on panels at the Road Rally over the years. And all of them have agreed with me on this, that yeah, it it doesn't matter. They may put it on their desktop or put it in a a file folder of their favorite songs, or they may hold onto it for some future use, but they are not gonna put it into a scene because it's an amazing piece of music. They once again are gonna take something that may not be as spectacular in some or many regards, but they're gonna take the thing that is appropriate for accomplishing the emotional goal that they've got for that scene. So don't think that Taxi, as your, I don't know, not provocateur, but Taxi, uh, you know, we're not your agent, but, you know, we're your cheerleaders. We are trying to get your music into the hands of people who need music. And it happens to our screeners where they get music that they listen to and go, this is really amazingly good, but they can't afford it because it's just not right for what the scene or the music supervisor asked for. So there you go don't fall into that trap number nine um, following up after a submission and boy oh boy this is one of the most frequently asked questions I've had during my entire career and I've been in this industry for a very very long time and I've been running taxi for 27 years I've had this question literally thousands of times When should I follow up and how should I follow up? So following up after a submission, uh, I I know it's frustrating. Believe me, I understand it. I know it comes from a good place, and if I were in your shoes, I would be guilty of feeling this way as well. So if that gives you any solace, there you go. Um, You make a submission to taxi and you find out you've been forwarded. Back in the olden days, we used to tell you which company you were forwarded to. Um, then the uh, then Google made it so easy for people to get the contact information of these companies and individuals, and we had one bad incident in particular that cost us a relationship with arguably the top music supervisor in the industry back then um I, you know frankly, I don't even know if she's still in the industry. I never see her name anymore but um it, it's yeah, we had problems okay and, and so we couldn't let you guys know where your music was being forwarded to, and we asked for a certain amount of trust. We've been in business long enough, and our reputation is good enough that if we say, we've just forwarded your music to a big-time music supervisor, that in fact is where it went. So people do say, you know, how do I follow up? When can I follow up? Can you guys tell me who it went to so I can follow up? Um, I think that this post that I saw on June 6th, from a pretty big music supervisor, a woman that uh, I know posted something on Twitter, and she said, I love receiving music from independent artists. But if you do reach out, there's no need to follow up once, twice, or three or four times to confirm that we've received it. Email's very sophisticated. We definitely got it, and we're just all busy. So don't turn a positive thing into something negative. So there's your answer on follow-up. This is a music supervisor. Here's the bottom line. People in the industry aren't sitting there thinking, wow, Bob's music was really good. You know what? I'm just gonna sit on this for a while, and if Bob reaches out and reminds me that I've got Bob's music, then maybe I'll use Bob's music in that show. Not the way it works, folks. If they hear something that they think is really good, and I mean really good for a scene, and I'm talking music supervisor now, or music library looking for stuff for their catalog, um, or a regular publisher that you know publishes music for records and radio and that kind of stuff, the old school stuff. Um, if somebody hears something great that they can use, that they can make money with, or they can solve a problem with, they're not gonna wait for you to follow up before they decide to act on that. Instead, they're gonna reach out to you and say, hey, Bob, I got your piece of music. I think it works great in the scene. Let's do a deal. Or Bob, I got your instrumental track. I'd like to put it into my library. Let's talk, I'm gonna send you over a contract. Or Bob, hi, this is John Doe from Warner Chapel Music, and uh, we'd like to talk to you about doing a, a staff writer deal with us. In any of those scenarios, they're gonna reach out to you. They're not going to wait for you to remind them that they got your music to make a deal happen. And I know you're thinking, but it was so good, and I haven't heard from them, and it's been days or weeks or months. And as we all know, the record at Taxi, as far as I can remember, is seven years from the time somebody was forwarded by us to, I think this was a music library, took seven years for the library to get back to them and, and sign a deal, offer a deal. So oftentimes, ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, if they have your music, and you haven't heard back from them, there is either no hope because it doesn't work for what they need, or there may be some glimmer of hope. But don't hang your hat on that. Don't you know sit there looking at your phone, waiting for the receiver to ring off the hook. Um, they may put it in a file of like you know their favorite rock songs. So someday when they're working on a scene and they need a rock song. They open up their file and they've already got a a playlist of favorites in there and it could be two years from now that that happens and that's when you get the phone call or the email in the case of music library it could be that they are building a rock collection um, and while they were busy working on that um, all of a sudden they had to fill a bunch of orders because that's what music libraries do essentially they're filling orders for tv shows and movies Um, They got really busy with other stuff um, that was more immediate and had a shorter timeline. And they needed to solve those problems. And in doing that, they forgot about the rock project where they were building that playlist. So now your music is sitting there on their desktop or in a file with other rock stuff. And it's going to lay there like a locks for a while because them building that rock um, compilation wasn't a high priority, wasn't an immediate priority, it's something they wanted to do, but it didn't have such an urgent timeline. So I don't know what to tell you, but I can tell you with pretty much absolute certainty that when the day comes where they want to license your music or sign you to a deal, they will reach out to you. And they will reach out to you if you have the information on the media that you supplied them with, which goes back to one of my earlier bullet points. If they don't have your phone number and you uh, and your name or your email address and the song title, and you don't have it in the metadata, uh, because let's say that you wrote it on the sleeve of a CD, but you didn't write it on the CD itself. Um, and let's say they drag the song uh, off of the CD to put it into a file of rock songs on their desktop. And they go back one day and they go, I love this song. This is perfect for that scene. Oh. I don't know who sent this in because you didn't include your contact information in the metadata. Point made, if I do say so myself. Number, I think this is number 10, assuming my numbering system is. It doesn't matter what number it is. Next up to bat, and I should keep repeating the fact that these are career-killing mistakes that you should avoid. So the next career-killing mistake is creating music without knowing what genre it is. Sometimes you go down a creative rabbit hole. You sit down, you really don't have anything in mind, you're not on a mission that day, and you start to create a piece of music. You should probably know, you should definitely know, what genre that music is in when you're done with it. Now, it may end up that because you went down a rabbit hole and you're just kind of letting the creative juices flow and the muse was sitting on your shoulder while you're writing and you go, not really a genre don't try and pigeonhole it or shoehorn it into something that it's not because the industry won't buy that it won't help you at all to do that um sometimes you just have to suck it up and go you know what i can't come up with a genre for this you'd be smart to go to the taxi forum at forums.taxi.com that's forums plural with an s forums.taxi.com i just saw Bria's is going to put it in the in the chat um you could go to the peer-to-peer section in the forums and say, anybody have a clue what genre this is? Maybe it just wasn't clicking for you and you didn't really know what genre you had created. Maybe somebody else will be able to figure it out. Um, But you've got to know what genre it is because it's kind of like an elevator speech. You know, if somebody, first of all, if somebody is asking for um, introspective uh, singer-songwriter stuff or... um, emotionally upbeat uh, indie folk. You need to know that you've got that, so if you're sending in something that really doesn't sound like either of those, they're like, eh, you know, you just wasted my time. Again, earning yourself a, a, a tarnished star, not a gold star in that scenario. So you need to know what genre it is, especially if you're dealing with music libraries and probably even more so if you're doing instrumental music. Just having a pretty piece of instrumental music and, and this is something I believe people fall into when they get um, especially string libraries when they get a new library full of beautiful string samples they sit down and, rah, rah, and they compose and they emote and they make all this pretty music and their spouse or one of the kids or a relative somebody a friend walks through the room and goes oh my gosh that's so beautiful that should be in a movie but If you can't walk up to somebody and say, hey, I just finished a piece of music that is blah, you know, whatever. I mean, because they're all kind of, you can't just say, I've got orchestral music. That doesn't solve anybody's problem or tell them, you know, what it is you've got in your hands. So um, you've got to be able to say, I've got um, anthemic orchestral music that would be great for a battle scene. There you go. We can all, when I just said that, didn't you kind of envision what that's going to sound like in your head? So there you go. Um, create music that you do know what the genre is, at least when you've finished it. And probably be a good idea to get some backup on that. Even if you think you know what the genre is, if you're like only 75% sure, go to forums.taxi.com, go to the peer to peer section, ask the people in there to. Tell you what they think it is, and and you'd probably be smarter to not phrase it as "Do you think that this is anthemic, um, you know, orchestral battle scene music?" Um, ask them what genre do you think this is, and what type of scenes might it be good for. Okay, so there you go. Free, get free input from people in the know. Okay, next career killing mistake. I don't think I've ever discussed this one on the show. If I have, I've forgotten. Uh, putting your best song last on the playlist bad 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 move i'm guilty of this i have done this back when i was still a studio rat and maybe three four five times a year i would work with unknown unsigned artists um, and help them try to get a record deal and when i was involved in the pitching process or, or you know the order of what stuff should be on the list and when Um, For the purpose of pitching it, I was a believer. I probably heard Barry Gordy of Motown fame saying, leave them wanting more. Um, And somehow that influenced me into thinking that you should put your best song last because that's the last thing they would hear. And that's the one that you want them, you know, kind of like the sealing it with a kiss, as it were. Um, That's the impression that you want them to depart with. Oh, that's really good. But you know what? If your best thing isn't first, they're not gonna listen to number two, three, four, and five. It's that simple. You've gotta impress them right out of the gate. Um, So maybe put your second best piece of music at the end of the list. I don't even know if that's a good idea, frankly. And and you know what? This could be a career-killing move because if they don't get to your best piece of music, that's it, it's over. There is no record deal offered. There is no publishing deal offered. Um, They're not going to listen to the rest of the stuff and, and offer you some slots in their music library. So there you go. Do not put your best stuff last. I think I need a swig of this, which is Rockstar. I don't even know. It's just called Rockstar Sugar Free. A word from our sponsor. I'm thirsty. Delicious. Um, okay, next one. Trash talking people in the industry. It's a small business. Um, excuse me. People do talk to each other. Birds of feather do hang together. Um, I think a lot of music library owners know each other. I think a lot of composers know each other. I think a lot of, definitely, a lot of music supervisors know each other and a lot of music supervisors, no library owners, and no composers, and blah, blah, blah. It's all interconnected. So if you're trash-talking somebody in the industry, oh yeah, that library owner, Uh, if you're doing that in any sort of public way, like hanging out with a group of people at at an event or a dinner or having drinks somewhere at a mixer, and you're trash-talking somebody, it's not a stretch to think that the people you're talking to are sitting there with little, you know, uh, what do they call those, bubbles above your head, like a cartoon, you know what I mean? Excuse me, like, you know, little bubble um, that they have in comic books and stuff. Anyway, they're probably thinking, gee, if he would say that about that person, I wonder what he says about me when I'm not in the room. So it's just a good practice. You know, look, nobody, myself included, goes through life without talking trash about somebody sooner or later. Um, And sometimes, many times, maybe they deserve it. But choose your battles, pick your audience well, and just know that it can come back to bite you on the butt. This one is a career killer, if ever I've seen one. And, And it's probably the one that I see the most, and that is giving up too soon you guys have all heard me say this before, our members say this, which is succeeding in the music industry is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's not going to happen in hours, it's not going to happen with one submission, it's not going to happen in a day, a week, a month, probably not even a year. It takes time and it takes persistent and consistent effort. So don't fooled or fool yourself into thinking I'm so good that when they hear my stuff they're they're going to just like it doesn't matter none of those things Michael talks about on taxi tv matter because I'm so good even if you're amazingly good it still takes time because it doesn't happen with just one thing in one moment um the chances of you making a substantial amount of money on one placement in a TV show or a film, and I guess everybody's got a different um, definition of what substantial is, but yeah, you know, let's say you get a really nice placement in a big TV show on on network uh, on a broadcast network in prime time, and you get a five thousand dollar check for that placement. It's not life changing. I mean, it certainly is wonderful, and five grand is not nothing, but it's not. 50,000. It's not a half a million. It's not 5 million. You're not going to retire on that one placement. And just because you got that one placement doesn't mean that you're guaranteed, oh, I've broken through the ice now. So every time I submit or most of the time I submit, I'm going to get through. So most people experience frustration because they don't have that $5,000 placement, they don't have a string of other placements, even if they're little, you know, instrumental placements on reality TV shows that are generating oftentimes pennies. Um, Don't give up because, and I have said this a thousand times on the show, the last person left on the playing field is always the winner. So if you walk off the field, you're not in the game. If you're not in the game, you can't have a career. But, you know, sometimes, Uh, Some people can work at this 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Their timeline is going to be shorter. So they're going to experience the satisfaction of of forward motion, forward movement in their career better than somebody who's got a full-time job and a family and a mortgage and obstacles that do get in the way and slow you down. They shouldn't stop you, but they will slow you down. So don't be envious. Envy is a bad thing. Don't look at other people that are more successful or became more successful than you did more quickly and go, that's it, I give up. Put your tail between your legs and just start watching a lot of TV and not working on your music anymore. Hang in there. I know it's frustrating. You will be bummed out more often than not. Just hang in there just remember just remember these words coming out of my mouth let them echo in your head and when you feel like giving up just don't just do not give up and keep going even when it sucks okay um it's a doozy not starting out this is a career killer not starting out in the genre that you are that you're good at um if you're just getting started, and let's take the example of instrumental music for um, TV and film, okay? And let's say that you hear about another taxi member that just got a piece of orchestral in a big movie trailer for a Disney movie, and they got a check for $32,000 for that, and you go ding, 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 I want a check for $32,000. So I'm gonna do a bunch of big lush orchestral pieces like that dude did. But truth of the matter is, you don't know anything about how to use string libraries effectively yet. You don't know anything about orchestration. You don't know where the uh, instruments map out on the floor from a bird's eye view to make it sound like an authentic orchestra. You don't understand articulations. You don't understand voicings. Um, You don't understand orchestration. Uh, You don't understand the way a trailer is built in three acts. There's so many things that you don't understand about the thing that that person was successful with. So let's say that you're really good at cocktail jazz piano and you go, well, hell, you know, I I use my fingers and a keyboard um, to play cocktail jazz. I mean, how much harder or different can it be for me to do uh, big lush orchestral things? Well, it's a whole different discipline. Why not start out just being the best orchestra or the best um, cocktail jazz pianist? Which, by the way, if I were a composer and keyboard was my thing, I highly recommend that genre. Solo piano uh, cocktail jazz stuff gets used a lot. Um, While it may not be glamorous, um, it's easy to crank out quite a bit of it. Um, you can use, frankly, you can use the same chord progressions um, and just by merely you know, uh, coming up with some alternate voicings um, and alternate tempos and a, a light melody, not a, a big full melody under it, you can change the mood. So you could have romantic cocktail jazz. You could have um, bluesy cocktail jazz. You could have celebratory cocktail jazz. You can do a lot with that genre, and it's a really good way to get your foot in the door. Um, it, it may not be the most often used genre, but it's consistent over time. And generally speaking, the music that's created for it, it's kind of evergreen. Um, the definition of what cocktail jazz sounds like probably, you know, cocktail jazz background music in 1976. Would not be that different from 1980 and 1992 and 2005 and 2019. It's still cocktail solo piano music. Um, And I recommend that you drink a martini while you're making it. Uh, So start out by not starting out in the genre that you are best at. You have set yourself up for bigger obstacles and probably failure and you're going to give up put your tail between your legs go home and call it a day whereas if you start out with something that you're already good at um, you're probably likely to get positive feedback earlier in the game and boy oh boy i've seen this with taxi members for just countless times the minute they get their first piece of music signed the minute they get their first placement anything that gives them positive reinforcement really sets them up for success down the road so there you go start out at something that you're good at and then, once you've mastered that, once you've learned how to deal um, with a music library owner, how to meet deadlines, how to uh, create different moods within a genre, once you've mastered those things, then you can take those things that are in that skill set and apply it to bigger challenges. Okay? So, there you go. Number, I don't even know what number this is, um, not meeting deadlines. Boy, oh boy, if you could be a, a fly on the shoulder, is that what they say, fly on the shoulder? It sounds like a... Uh, fly, on the wall. fly on the wall. thank you. <laughs> a fly on the wall when deadlines hit right here at Taxi World Headquarters, especially, it's almost invariably the deadlines for the big money listings, you know, like listings like, you know, the $180,000 commercial or the $25,000 trailer, People want those so badly, and I totally get it. But it's astonishing. If we get you know 220 submissions for something like that, there will probably be 20 people that will um, email us or call. It's the one time they use the telephone is to call. If the deadline is, let's say, noon on Wednesday, at 12.01 p.m. on Wednesday, we start getting calls and emails from people. I mean, it's just like high school. The dog ate my homework. My wife's car battery died, I had to go get her, and I couldn't make the submission on time. Um, I had to go to the doctor, just a million excuses. But you know what? The industry doesn't work that way, Um, especially when you get to the upper echelons, when you're dealing directly with music supervisors. They don't care that the dog ate your homework. They don't care that the battery in your spouse's car died. What they care about is meeting their deadline and solving their problem and if you are a party to that you better damn well be on board with their deadline because if you blow it they won't work with you again they want people who make their life easier they want people they can rely on they uh i think the word frictionless which was uh, bill gates kind of coined that phrase back in the day um, frictionless means something that happens easily, doing you know, a frictionless business. Like right now, our submission process online at Taxi is not frictionless. We're working to make it frictionless. Um, so you wanna make a music supervisor's life better. You wanna be their go-to person because it is frictionless to work with you. When they tell you that they need cocktail jazz for this scene and they need it by 12 o'clock on Wednesday, If you could get it to them two or three hours after they make that phone call or send you that email, you're a rock star in their world. And you probably won't be the only person they're reaching out to because most uh, music supervisors kind of have a a preferred list of vendors, if you will. Um, And and a lot of them have broken it out by genre. So let's say that the music supervisor knows 32 people that they really like for cocktail jazz. Uh, My guess is the person who gets it over their doorstep first stands the best chance uh, of getting it used Um, obviously it's got to meet the criteria of the scene it's got to work with picture but being first can be a plus so uh, you definitely don't want to be late sending them something five minutes after the deadline first of all you've probably blown it already because somebody else got in there before you but you've definitely blown it by getting it there after the fact and you've earned a rusty star for any future work um next one you uh, this is a career killer making excuses for not getting started or sticking with it um i didn't pull it out for the show because i've probably read it on taxi tv 20 times over the years i've got a list of excuses that i have personally gotten from people over the years and every time i get one i just keep adding it to this ever-growing list nobody wants to hear an excuse it's not high school and it's not your high school teacher it's the real world it's a business and it's a world in which you have to act like a professional so you have to start something to make it happen and you gotta stick with it to make it happen and no amount of excuses is gonna solve that problem for you and if you don't solve problems for other people in the industry you don't have a career. Next on the list having a defeatist attitude and blaming everybody else for your lack of success Uh, it's really easy to see this in other people i think that it's somewhat difficult if not entirely difficult for people to see this in themselves um but you know having that little voice in your head that says i'll never be as good as that other person uh i don't have a good enough studio Um, They live in L.A. and get to meet all the right people all the time at fabulous Hollywood parties. Not true. I live in Ohio. Um, That taxi screener hates me. That music library owner hates me. Uh, That music supervisor wouldn't know great music if it jumped up and bit him on the butt. Those are excuses. Um, That's a defeatist attitude. And I've got to say, almost entirely to the person of taxi's most successful members and i think i know many if not most or maybe even all of them none of them have that attitude they may have a moment or two where they have self-doubt or they blamed a circumstance or they blame somebody else maybe a moment but overall they are overwhelmingly positive people with a can-do attitude and it's extremely rare that I can imagine any of them pulling an excuse out of their pocket. So if you want to kill your career, rely on excuses and stay right where you're at. If you want to have a career that eventually flourishes, have a positive can-do attitude. Next up, not titling your music well. I've talked about this at infinitum on many, many episodes, so I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm merely going to say that if An editor working on a reality show has a scene where two people are on a beach um, at a beautiful sunny resort. Uh, Let's make it an all inclusive resort. (laughs) Um, And the music supervisor, the editor, is sitting down and they are looking in a bucket of 10,000 pieces of music. um, And they see two pieces of music, the first of which is called. Steel Drums Instrumental, Steel Drum Instrumental, and the next one is Caribbean Sands. Which one are they probably gonna choose to try first against that picture with a couple of people romping on the beach and going out to jump in the water? I'm putting my money on Caribbean Sands. Titling is really important, and you would be shocked to see how many people will send in a piece of music that says, Steel Drum Instrumental, Mix One, Tuesday Night Late. All these little descriptors that are really good for them for keeping their stuff organized in in whatever filing system or desktop that they're using. Um, For the industry, you want to title your music so that they know what it's going to sound like before they hear it. That's the single best thing you can do. So I believe it is a career-killing mistake to not give yourself five minutes and work up a really good title. Don't just go, yeah, whatever. Don't ever blow off a title. Um, OK, next one. Nah, I was going to say kind of related. It's really not. Next one is not having a website. For some reason, it's become even more important in the last two or three years, That especially when people, music supervisors, are using songs. Um, they get delighted, I, and this is true of music used in advertising, sometimes trailers. Uh, more and more music supervisors seem to wanna to have a connection. I, I, I don't really 100% understand why, but they wanna see that somebody out is out there and presenting him or herself or, or their band as a working band. It somehow has more cachet. I honestly believe that a, a piece of music that's really right for a scene will beat out a piece of music that is slightly less right for a scene, even if the piece of music that's slightly less right for the scene um, looks like it comes from a really cool hipster band or something. They're not going to choose it for a scene because the band looks to be really cool and awesome and hipster-like, um, but all other things being equal, that could push them in that direction. So. I I do know that music supervisors I know when they hear something they love a lot of times it's just curiosity Um, maybe they want to reinforce their own thinking but they will google that band if there's no obvious link to get to a website and and they want to go to a website they want to know where is this band from this artist this music where's it from Um, is, is there an interesting story how long have they been at it do they have records that are out do they play shows and have a following? Have they had 25 million streams on YouTube? That stuff is interesting to them. Sometimes they need that information to help sell the executive producer. Maybe they've got a piece of music that they think is absolutely perfect for a scene. Um, and they play it for the executive producer on the show, and the EP goes, I'd like it. It works pretty well in the scene. And that's when the music supervisor will say, yeah, I think it works really well in the scene, too. And do you know that these guys have 25,000 streams on YouTube? That's going to be the thing that pushes it over the line for the executive producer. Why? Because it's the uh, wisdom of the crowd. It's um, social proof that other people like that artist or that song as well. Social proof helps sell almost anything and not just in music. So if an executive producer is almost there, almost over the line to making the decision, and they can look at a website and the website looks cool and it, sound, it looks like the music sounds. Oh, look at that, they've got 25,000 spins on YouTube or 25 million, that could be the deal maker versus the, the career killer. Um, next one, not being direct in your communication. It's really frustrating when you're trying to do a business thing or almost anything in life, and the person you're speaking with, you may love them, they may have, you know, maybe your best friend and maybe your spouse, but if they can't articulate something really clearly, uh, and if you are the type of person that can't articulate something clearly, that's going to catch up to you. It's cumulative. It may not be the world's worst thing in one scenario, you're having one conversation with the music library owner, but you know what, if you're going to the taxi road rally and you get in an elevator and lo and behold, look at that that big music supervisor who was just on a panel five minutes ago is in the very same elevator and it's just the two of you going up to the 12th floor of the hotel and you've got a couple of minutes to have a conversation with that person. Um, and, The music supervisor says to you, so what kind of music do you make, John? And if you don't know, number one, very bad. Career-killing move right there. And if you can't articulate it, that's another career killer. So you don't have to be the most charming person or the most handsome person or the smartest person or any of that stuff, but you do have to be somebody that can articulate and communicate in a very direct fashion. That goes a very long way, and you should... Have that skill, and if you don't, figure out how to get that skill and and make it your own. Well, I was afraid this was going to be a short show. Eh, I'm on the last page. That's good. Um, Career-killing mistake. Kill your social media. I believe that in many regards, social media is such a time suck Um, you could make the case that social media is great so that you can get your brand out there, get your image out there, get your music out there. But come on, let's be truthful. Can you go on Facebook and just see, you know, what's going on with your account, with, with, you know, with your status, with your music, or how many people are downloading a song or watching the video or or reading your post? Um, And then not look at everything else about your cousin. Oh, look at that. Cousin Ella just got herself a new beagle. Oh, it's so cute. Hi, Ella, love your new beagle. <sniffs> um, kill your social media. It's You're better off having a website for the aforementioned scenario. Um, social media is a time suck. And if you're spending an hour a day on social media, that's an hour a day you could be spending on your career think about that. If you had an hour a day you could put toward songwriting or composing or reading a book, you know? um, Do you really need to know about your cousin Ella's Beagle Um, or should you be reading Robin Frederick's book? Or you could be reading this book from our guest who's coming on the show next week, Steve Barton, writing production music for TV. There are so many really good books out there. so, I recommend killing your social media. Um, you might try, you might be the kind of person who could say, I'm only going to spend 15 minutes a day on social media and I'm going to do it on my lunch hour. But you know what? Um, we've got a taxi member whose name escapes me at the moment, he lives in Orlando, <laughs> and he spends his lunch hour at work every day, not looking at social media, but working on his music. He invests himself during his lunch hour every day at work. Um, to write new music. I think that's admirable. Okay, next one. Uh, Let me take a sip. Switching brands here. Um, Career-killing mistake. Negotiating like a rock star when you aren't one. Man, oh man, oh man. Um, I don't know what makes people do this. But maybe it's because they believe in themselves so strongly but when they're finally presented a deal typically um, from a music library and typically most music libraries take a hundred percent of the publisher's share you keep hundred percent of the writer's share so you end up it's a 50 50 deal you end up with half the marbles okay but it's fairly common that people who are neophytes get a phone call or an email from somebody and they say, excuse me, no, no, they don't say excuse me, and they don't burp in your face. They uh, say, I would like to sign you to a deal. I'm going to send you over our contract. And it's a contract that they send out to everybody. It's not like they hire a lawyer to draft up a contract that is individualized just for you. They can't do that with the music library because they could have... five ten twenty thousand composers in the catalog so they can't create a new contract uh, for every person it would be cost prohibitive and they don't have the wherewithal to remember the terms and conditions of every individualized contract so they send out a standardized contract and you go hell no I'm not signing that thing I'm not giving up any of my publishing and you start negotiating like you're a rock star they are, they're going to be done with you. That conversation is going to be over very quickly. And instead of you getting your foot in the door with that company, getting your foot in the door industry-wise and maybe even industry-wide, um, you've killed it right then and there. Is that instrumental cue so important that you can't give up half of the publishing to incent them to go out and work it? Why else would they want to do it if they're not going to make any money? So don't negotiate like you're a rock star. Yeah, if you're uh, you know if you're Taylor Swift and your record deal is up for renewal, you can negotiate like a rock star. Um, but you can't unless Taylor. Are you watching the show? I I have I have heard a rumor that Taylor Swift Taylor Swift Taylor Swift is a regular taxi TV watcher. So <laughs> if you see somebody in the chat room just using the initials T S, it might be her. Anyway, in all seriousness. Don't negotiate like a rock star if you're not one, okay? Um, next, don't put your music into just any old music library. I know it's emotionally satisfying to be able to say, I just signed a publishing deal. My music is published. My publisher. All those things sound wonderful make you feel really good. But you know what? There are libraries, and there are libraries, and there are libraries. And I got to say it it does hurt me a little bit. I feel a little twinge of pain when I see somewhere online where somebody says, yeah, I just signed this thing with the library. Do you believe Taxi rejected it? Well, first of all, they probably forgot to mention some stuff, like it's not the same version they submitted to Taxi that was rejected. Uh, And they took the advice of the Taxi A&R person and actually incorporated that advice and made a new version and that's the version that got picked up by some other library that they submitted to on their own um, so they don't mention those things they also don't mention the fact that the reason they were rejected by taxi is because they submitted an indie folk piece for a singer songwriter listing and it was so obviously indie folk and not singer songwriter that the screener went it's not the right genre I can't forward it because they're not looking for that genre right now, they're looking for that other one. So um, then they take that piece of music and they send it out to 50 libraries on their own, and one of the libraries picks it up and signs it, and they go, well, you know, taxi, uh, you guys didn't forward it, but I got it signed on my own. Well, okay, Um, you got it signed by one of the 50 people you sent it to that was generically willing to take almost anything, and they're quality bar is pretty low. So, while the Taxi Library may have been a high quality bar library, uh in the library you just got it in was a low quality bar library that will sign almost anything that sounds remotely like music because why not? Didn't cost them anything to, you know, they sent out a standardized contract. It's not like they had to spend $5,000 to sign that one little instrumental cue. So, my advice If you don't want to kill your career, is be, what's the word I'm looking for? Not judicious, but um, be particular. Um, Don't just put your music in any old library. Put it in libraries that, first of all, have a track record for getting that kind of music used. You could probably get it into one of those lower tier libraries, and maybe someday it will get used. I'm not saying that it never will, but the the odds go down. Uh, Let's say you're doing, go back, let's go back to solo cocktail jazz piano pieces again. Um, I I would invest my time finding out which libraries have a good track record of getting that kind of stuff placed. Uh, If you're pitching it to a library that gets a lot of stuff in trailers, chances are most of the music is going to be pretty lush orchestral stuff, maybe even big bombastic orchestral stuff. Um, I would say that there probably aren't a lot of solo cocktail jazz piano pieces in a lot of trailers, so that might not be the best library for you. I can think of another library, which I'm not going to mention by name on the show, that has had tremendous success getting solo piano pieces, um, mostly cocktail jazz, placed in a lot of really good TV shows. If I were a musician that made that kind of music, I would want to be in the right kind of library to in, Increase my chances of getting making money with my music so don't just put your music into any old library because you could get a thousand pieces signed in the wrong libraries and that and have your career go absolutely nowhere because it's the wrong music in the wrong library um, another career killer listening to the age-old adage never give up your publishing I don't remember when that started, but I've got to believe that it was probably in the 70s or 80s. Don't give up your publishing. Well, I know a lot of people that own 100% of their publishing and they make no money whatsoever. I would rather make 50% of something than 100% of nothing. Enough said. So if you are going to hold a hard line at, I'm never giving up my publishing, you've killed your career right then and there. Next bullet point, not being fully forthcoming when signing deals. That is a career killer, and here's how. Oops, I forgot to mention that other writer when I signed this deal. Oops, I didn't get a work for hire um, from the vocalist. And then you sweep those things under the rug. Maybe you just forgot. Maybe it's somewhat innocent. Maybe it's a little bit sneaky. Figure, you know what? I can't remember that vocalist's name, and she sang on this like 25 years ago. She'll never know that I signed this deal. And lo and behold, you sign a deal with the library, and you claim that you've got 100% ownership on it, and it's free and clear, and you don't owe anybody anything, and then that piece of music ends up in a movie. And lo and behold, that young lady who sang on your song 25 years ago and didn't sign a work-for-hire... goes to the movie theater and hears the song, goes, oh my gosh, that's my voice in there. And that person comes out of the woodwork. Maybe it's just, you know, hey, I want a couple hundred dollars for my piece of music or my vocal being on that. Or I want a credit or I want something. Maybe it's not that big a deal, but it could be a lawsuit. So you gotta be careful, especially in the case of it was a co-writer and the co-writer wasn't credited and the co-writer didn't make half the money that could very well be a lawsuit. And you know what, if you get sued and the library or the publisher gets sued, uh, the music supervisor who put you in that movie, the library who signed that piece of music, they are never gonna work with you again and they will be talking about you at cocktail parties. You will be a topic of discussion, 100% guaranteed. So always be forthcoming and if you don't know, say you don't know. It might kill that deal, but it's not gonna kill your career like lying about it, okay? And last but not least, the biggest mistake. Oh, I should repeat the career killing mistake that you should avoid, the single biggest career killing mistake is not visualizing what you want to accomplish and then developing a plan on how you're going to accomplish it. How can you? accomplish anything if you can't articulate what it is that you want. Uh, I want to be successful with my music. Really? How? I just want to get my music out there. Oh man, if I seriously, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard the phrase I just want to get my music out there, I could probably buy a condo in some cities from those dollars adding up. I've heard that more than anything. I just want to get my music out there. What does that mean? out there like you're going to put a speaker in your front yard and people that drive by are going to hear it? You mean out there like a radio hit? Out there like in TV or film? Or out there to people in the industry? Or out there to friends and family? What does get your music out there really mean? you got to be more specific. Visualize what you want. I want to pitch instrumental music to music libraries because ultimately I'd like to earn my income from doing that full-time. That's pretty... You know, you can see that. You can visualize that. Put a post-it note on your bathroom mirror every morning when you're brushing your teeth. Repeat what it says on that post-it note. And I'm not some woo-woo, you know, like, "Mm," kind of guy. Not me at all. But I do believe what you can see and say is something that you can accomplish. So if you don't want to kill your career, do it to it. And that, my friends, is my list of career-killing mistakes that you should not make. With that, I want to remind you, as I mentioned before, that our good friend and awesome musician and successful composer, Mr. Steve Barden, and author, I should include, or say, Steve Barden will join us next week and we will be giving away this very book that I hold in my hands to one of our lucky viewers. So don't miss next week's show. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode seven minutes early. Have a good week, you guys. Take care. See you on the next episode of Taxi TV. Bye-bye.